You are listening to the People-Centric Podcast, where we talk through the toughest challenges that people face at work and give practical advice to fixing those challenges. Thanks for joining our movement to create workplaces that are happier, healthier, aligned, and empowered by putting people at the center of all that we do. Hey, people-centric leaders. Hey, today we're going to talk a little bit about problem solving, but I want to share a story first. We have, I've seen this pattern a lot lately of leaders taking sabbaticals, of taking time away for the company. And I always thought that sabbaticals were something that leaders do or managers or executives do when they get burnt out. Now, first of all, some of you, I just want to acknowledge something. Some of the employees are listening to this going like, I would love to take a sabbatical. That is not an option for me. Where do I go to be able to take a sabbatical? By the way, it's increasingly common for some employers to give sabbaticals to employees who've been there for a long time. But but it's becoming more common I'm seeing for managers to go take sabbaticals or owners. And what's interesting about it is they're not just taking a sabbatical for themselves to take a break, but they're also seeing a positive impact on their team when they leave. Now, those of you who own a company are thinking, so this is great. I'm glad I listened to this podcast episode today. You're basically telling me that the secret to success for my company is for me to jump out of it. Well, kind of. What do you think, Diana? Should I just leave? Well, I was just going to say like all the employees are like, well, duh, <laughs> out of my way, I will be better. I will be better. I can solve so many things for you, right? And I, I I, think you're absolutely right. I mean, we say that jokingly, but I'm sure there's a lot of people saying, yes, when our boss went on vacation, it was glorious. Everybody did the things that we were supposed to do. We solved our own problems. We communicated with each other and all of that. So we, I've, I've talked to one executive who took a sabbatical for several weeks and came back and she said that her team just absolutely took another step up. And this wasn't a bad team. This is a high-performing team who's just, they figured out stuff. They started solving problems around them that normally the the, the uh, top executive would have to jump in and solve. And they found a whole new level of performance. So today in our episode, we're going to talk about how do employers help their employees to solve problems. But we're also going to talk to you as employees, if you're listening to this, on how you can help to solve problems and maybe how you can even help your employer to solve problems. So this is all going to be about solving problems. That's what the episode today is. I want to ask a few questions. So we're going to introduce, we're, we're, we've got a smaller team today. So we're going to introduce who's on here today. You already heard from Diana. Diana, do you have any problems? I don't know how to answer that. I have so, so many problems. Yes. What do you, <laughs> yes. Where do you think we were? <laughs> yes. Yes. We have problems here. You know. <laughs> I want to ask you just a quick question, Diana. What's your problem? <laughs> how what dare is, you? What is wrong with you? <laughs> Who do you think that you are? <laughs> We're kind of stuck in that. I like that. Yeah. And then I'm scared to go next. Yeah. 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 Uh, Stephanie, do you have any solutions for any of Diana's problems? Maybe, but probably not. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, but I'm here for her. I am here to support and listen to her problems. And maybe I have good ideas and maybe I have bad ideas for how to solve her problems. We won't know until we try. You have absolutely solved some of my problems. You are an excellent problem solver. Oh, thank you. Um, yeah. Oh, that was, that was a good a, moment. 
Yeah. That was a moment. <laughs> we just had a moment here on the People Centric Podcast. So let's jump into this. I'm going to ask the first question. So it's Don Harkey, Stephanie Anderson, and Diana Royalty here with you today. It's the three of us here. So it's the A team, really. I mean, well, plus Bethany's not here. She would be also so the A team. You're really just saying that Matt is B team. That's it. I didn't say that out loud. You're well, the one I that did. said that. You added I'll that. I'll say it to his face. He knows you did it. The, you're the one that did the math on that one. <laughs> so it's fine. But uh, so here's my first question is, how do employers keep employees from solving problems? I mean, I think that one probably feels a little more obvious um, than the other side of that question. But I think everyone's experienced this in different ways. I think the term that's most popular is micromanaging or like helicopter bossing of where we don't actually give employees any ability to use their own logic brain. We tell them how to do absolutely everything to the point that usually then the employees become dependent on that manager or boss to get any of their work done. And we actually are coaching their brains to not like think strategically or creatively. We're just coaching them to go through this process. And then if at any point that process messes up, then what we typically find is no matter how smart or talented the people, then the whole thing kind of breaks down because we've just coached them the wrong way. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. And I think a lot of times managers have a lot of knowledge in their heads because they've done it for a long time or they've built the process or whatever. And then they tell an employee, they're like, Hey, go do this thing. And then the employee is like, well, I don't have enough information to go do that thing. You didn't, you didn't give me the information that was in your head. You just sort of said, go do the thing. There's a scene in the office where this new manager tells Jim to give him a rundown. And Jim spends all day trying to figure out what a rundown is. And he asks a few questions. He asks the manager a few questions and the manager just kind of snips back and is like, is this going to be a problem? Like it's supposed to be simple. And so Jim is freaked out to ask more questions, but whatever the manager wanted in his head, he didn't share enough information to let Jim do a good job. And then Jim didn't ask enough good questions to go do the job well. So he spent all day on this really simple thing. I don't think it ever turned out for him, but like, it's just, you just didn't give enough information for me to do a really good job. Yeah. I remember that episode and he asked some really great, vague questions, right? Like, do you have a special way you want me to do this rundown for you or uh can you give me an example of a rundown and he's just like no just a typical rundown just do the rundown and the boss acted so much like he's always done that like it's just a normal request that jim didn't know how to respond to it and i do think it's a really good example sometimes and we've seen that with employees of saying like i was asked to go do a thing and then they have more questions about it and they didn't ask the questions um why do you think employees don't ask the questions well it it feels almost like a trap in that way. If I, if I don't know what it is that you've told me to do, I almost have that panic moment in my brain of like, I'm supposed to know what a rundown is. And so I think there's that moment of like, do I want to admit that I don't know what it is, which would get me to answer really quickly, but maybe there's going to be retribution for that because should I quote unquote have known what that is? And is that going to be now a poor reflection on me and my expertise or um, what I should be able to do in this job? And so I think a lot of people never get past that. They just think, ah, like there's that fear of what if I admit that I don't know how to do this and then how will the team or the boss respond, even though that is the quickest path to give us the answer and would let me know, oh, exactly what that is. And maybe I do know what it is. I just didn't know it was called a rundown. 
here. Yeah. And I think that people also see the, see that everyone is busy. And so it's hard to say, Hey, I know you're busy. And I know you told me to do this thing because you're busy and you want me to do it. But like, now I have to ask you a bunch of questions or I have to dig in deeper. And so then it doesn't feel like I'm saving you any time. It feels like I'm causing more trouble. And so I'm trying to like balance the, do I, do I, do I just go do it and maybe mess it up and maybe not do the right thing because you're busy and you told me to do it? Or do I ask more questions so that I'm trained really well so that I can do it for you going forward? It's a hard, it's a hard place to be stuck in. A lot of you are probably talking about the mess up part and the failure part. And so I think we're, we're going to come back to that. I want to come back to that part of that. So let me ask the second question then. So as an employer, I think we want employees to solve problems. I'm going to say that's probably pretty universal. If we asked a bunch of employers that question, I'd say it'd be a pretty high percentage of say, yes, I want my employees to solve their own problems. That would be fantastic. So what can employers do to avoid the mistakes that you're talking about? How do I get my employees to ask me good questions? How do I get them to solve their own problems? So many ways. I think the first thing that comes to my mind is to not, not, give information in a hurry. Like, don't just like throw it out there, right? Don't look busy when you're transferring information to an employee. Cause I think that perception of I'm too busy to give you all the information does hinder people from going to get the information. So I think first and foremost is like, make it seem important. So you're warning against the drive-by task giver, the the rundown idea. I'm going to walk by your desk and say, by the way, I need to get that rundown by Thursday. Can you run that for me? Uh, Yeah, sure. No problem. Yep. Yeah. I did that one time. I've told this story before I know on this, but we've done a lot of podcast episodes. You probably haven't heard this before, but when I was an engineer, I, I started at a new plant and we had to run this machine that was creating a reaction in, in this corn syrup and it was called dextrose equivalent and it's a DE and we were shooting for a 10 on the DE. And so I walked into the control room and I got the lab report. I looked at it and it was like a 40 something. It's so far off. It was ridiculous. And so I went to the operator and I just said, Hey, are you watching our, our, D and he goes, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm watching it. And then left. And I think Diana thinking back to it, some of that was the drive-by question, like problem solving thing. First of all, I didn't even really ask a question of saying like, why I'm, but I asked that question. I didn't point out like, isn't it supposed to be 10 and it's at 40 something, you know, and I just did it really quick. And then, so later we got an hour later, I got another lab report and it was still 40 something. It's supposed to be 10. It was 40 something. It was way, 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 way off. And I'm starting to think to myself, I'm even questioning myself as the boss, like, am I missing something here? It's so far off. Am I missing something? Why is nobody reacting to this? But I didn't ask any of those questions. I just went back and I said, Hey, the new DE came in and it's at 40 something again. And he goes, okay. And I thought, okay. And I didn't say anything again. And I just got walked walked on. Anyway, long story short, we went through half the morning and finally the plant manager called and says, why is your dextrose equivalent all over the place? And so I finally went to the operators and I was like, yeah, what are we going to do? Like the the DE is off. Like, what do we need to do to fix the, fix this? Like, shouldn't we make some adjustments here? And the operator turned around and looked at me and said, what's a DE? He had never been trained on that. Like yep. he didn't, he didn't know what it was. He, yep. did, he didn't know how to do what he was doing. So for four hours that day, we made bad product because I didn't ask clear questions and he didn't ask clear questions. So maybe that brings us to another point of what can managers do to help their employees to solve problems? Maybe it's about asking questions. What do y'all think of that? Yeah, I, I think that is a great next step. And I think it's, it's really important to, to, 
to give enough information and enough context without making it sound like you think they're dumb, right? Like, I'm just going to give you this information. Stop me if you've heard it. Here's what I know. Here's what I need. What questions do you have for me? Like, open it up. I'm, I'm here for you. I'm ready to take those questions. And then as an employee, I'm a processor. And so I might need 10 or 15 minutes to like go think about it, start it, work on it a bit, a minute, and then come back and say, okay, I got this, this, and this, that part's easy. I think I understand the end, but I'm stuck in these two spots. And just, I need the, I need the space to ask the questions. Yeah. And I think sometimes it's even like setting that expectation of like, Hey, like if you need to take some time and like, think about this and come back to me with questions, that's great. But maybe even like set the timeline for that. Like, could you come back to me later today? You know, depending on how urgent the project is, can we talk about this at the end of the day? Let me know what other questions you have. Cause I think sometimes what we'll see is, you know, if an employee isn't given the right information up front, or maybe they don't ask enough questions, then you'll see somebody spend all day or days trying to figure out something that you as the leader could have really just shown them in like 10 minutes how to do it. So it's also like knowing that as a leader of like, is it simple enough that I could just say, Hey, have you ever done this before? And then they say, no, like, okay, well then I'd love your help with this. I'm going to show you how to do this really quickly. If you already know how to do it, we're walking through it at any point, just stop me. Like, I like how you framed that Dan of like, if I'm saying stuff you already know, yeah, feel free to interrupt me and tell me that. But also I did just want to walk you through it because it's pretty simple of how you could do this, an effective way of doing that. And then I think always being sure to ask, like, what questions do you have? And maybe even following it up with like, after they ask one, okay, what else, what else, what else, what else, what else? And like, even framing your questions to them that way, instead of saying like, now, do you have any other questions? Cause then that makes it feel like I can't ask more. Yeah. So it goes back to the idea of the accountability doesn't happen in the first conversation it happens in all of the conversations. So you have to keep checking in on the process. I like that you talked about the process for solving the problem. So if we asked if an employee to solve a problem and then never checked back in with them or just say, hey, can you solve this? Most employees are going to say, sure, yes, I'll solve it for you because of all the things that we said at the very beginning. It's the gym question. It's the rundown question of saying, I'm not going to tell my boss no. I don't know how to solve that problem. I don't know what to do with that. So I think what a lot of times you can go and do what Stephanie talked about is where you ask some of the follow-up questions. Maybe if you don't, maybe even to tweak it a little bit, maybe you don't run down exactly how to solve that problem. Maybe you as the employer don't have the exact solution to that either. Maybe you have to ask the employee, what's your approach going to be in solving that problem? So it might be, hey, I've got this problem that we need to solve as a company. Da, 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 da. Can you help me with this? Would you be willing to help me solve this problem? Most employers are going to say, yes, I would. And say, okay, think about it. Here's what the issue is. Here's the impact it's having. And then let me circle back with you and maybe tomorrow or in an hour or whatever it is so that I can give like the Dianas of the world, the people who need a little time to process that thing. And, and let's talk about what your approach is going to be. You don't have to solve the whole problem, but tell me about what your approach is going to be to solving that problem. So then you can talk to the employee to see if they're going to be heading down the right trail or not. Then you can kind of see what's going on. And then you can have the subsequent conversations of saying, okay, what have you learned in these steps? Where are you getting stuck? It's a series of endless questions. There's a good book out there called Multipliers. And the idea of multipliers is that managers, the way you manage your employees, you can make them effectively smarter or dumber at work. You actually impact their effective IQ at work by how you manage them. 
And the way that you make an employee dumber is you do more things for them. You answer more questions for them. If they bring you a problem, you solve it. We call it the vanilla ice uh, management style. It's if you have a problem, yo, I'll solve it. They're not, Stephanie and Diana are not jumping in with me on this one. They're both shaking their heads at me saying, no. You're on your own, bud. You're on, on your own. own on this one. Okay. So when you use a vanilla ice style of management that you're going to solve your own problems, everybody gets used to just bringing you problems because they know you're going to solve it. And people shut their brains off when they have a problem. They're just going to come to you and say, this is a problem that I have. I often tell the story about my son with the carrots. He went into the fridge and my son's super smart and he couldn't find the carrots in the refrigerator. And he asked me, he said, I can't find the carrots in the refrigerator. And they weren't that hard to find. And they're bright safety orange. And our refrigerator is not that big. He had the tools. You, you've never been in my house. You probably know where my carrots are. All those things are solvable. And he just expected me to go solve the problem for him is why he asked me the question. And then when I asked the question back or turned it back and would not bail him out of it and gave him no place to go, which is why we talked about the sabbaticals at the beginning, when you have no place else to go, people then start to engage their brain fully and say, okay, I have no place to go. I have to figure this out. I have to solve the problem. Yeah, I was with, I was, oh, sorry, Stephanie, go ahead. No, go. Okay. I was with someone one time whose employee called them. This is not how I would handle it, but this employee called them and said, Hey, where is this thing? And the manager was like, uh, Joe, if I were dead, what would you do to find that thing? And Joe was like, well, I don't know. I'd probably poke around in here and I'd search here. And the manager was like, yep. Good thinking. Maybe go do that first. And I was like, whoa, that is super harsh, but also like maybe not a bad thing to think before you ask. Like if this person were not available, how would I get this information? Like I got to train myself to think about that before I jump to calling the manager for something. Yeah, I, I'm laughing so hard at that story because I had something similar in a workplace once. Um, we had an intern on our team and she really was kind of notorious just for like, asking all the questions and really never looking at, looking at up stuff herself. And like, here's the, like, there's, there's a scale to this. Right. And I think there was just one day she had just gotten on somebody's last nerve and, um, she comes in cause she'd come to their desk, like maybe every 10 minutes, they'd given her a task and she'd come back. Well, what about then? How would I do this? And basically they, they're like, I'm doing this thing for you. And somebody just looked at her once and was like, well, I'm going to make up a name. Well, I don't know, Barbara, I guess you're just going to have to use some critical thinking skills <laughs> and like never how we should handle that. But like, it is this idea of like, how do, how do we actually help our teams think through this without giving some of these blunt responses and reactions? And I liked something that you were talking about earlier, Don, that made me think like, sometimes as leaders, we actually just don't we don't even know, you know, we we're asking our teams to jump in and help with problems or create solutions that we don't know what the process should be. We kind of know maybe what we want the outcome to be, but we don't know what that process should be. So to Don's point, like it doesn't really make your team smarter for then you to say, Hey team, let's figure this out. And then you kind of jump in at every point and create the process. Like what if they came up with a process and there was a better way of doing this, or there's multiple ways of doing this. There's no right or wrong way of doing it necessarily. You know, we don't have a procedure or policy for that. Maybe someone could come up with something really great, but I think then that's as the leader also like setting that, setting that expectation, kind of setting the culture of even when you take that to your team of like, Hey, like 
I want your guys' help because I think there are a lot of different ways we could do this. And I want to understand and create this process with you because I know this could impact how we do a couple other things, how this would impact multiple jobs and um, how we do this at our team. Yeah, I love that because it's this is why we need our employees to solve problems because you as an executive don't have all the answers, right? That's a key point that I think is really important for everybody to understand. I know that the biggest, think of the biggest problems within your company or your organization right now. I know that sometimes executives feel like it's all on you to solve those problems, but trust us as, as an organization that works with hundreds of companies and organizations, maybe thousands at this point, you know, organizations, some of the best solutions come from employees. They'll bring up things. Post when I was at 3M, you know, post-it notes, they were not invented while I was there. That was before my time, but post-it notes were invented by a scientist who discovered them. And then the application was found by an executive's assistant to figure out how to use them as bookmarks was the original application. There wasn't an executive who said, we need a new product, go find me one and put it out. It was the people, it was the employees that solved those problems. So I think it's, imp- that's why it's important to be able to reach out to the employees. And as you ask those questions, I liked the point that was made earlier of you don't have to ask questions that make people feel stupid. Like you don't have to walk them through like in Diana's example, like where, if I were dead, where would you find that? What would happen next? I th- my guess is that that was actually a conversation between Diana and Matt is my guess. That was Diana. That was, if I were dead, where would you find that question? I didn't that's do my that. guess. I didn't do that, but I have since then. I did. I learned it from that guy, that manager who was like, Joe, if I were dead. And I was like, I'm going to use that. Yeah. It just sounded familiar. I think I've heard that before. So that's why I thought <laughs> it sounded, yeah, I don't know who Joe is, but might be on this call right now. I'm just saying, but I think what you can do is you can ask questions like, so somebody's like, well, I don't know how to solve that problem. I don't think you have to say, okay, well, what's the first step? You don't have to be elementary. You don't have to be condescending to the person. You can just say, okay, well, what do you know? You know what? Not that sounded worse actually, but what yeah, do you know? Some, do you know anything? There's no, there's a trick. This is the, one of the greatest tricks that I've ever learned from a coach But he said that a lot of times when people say, I don't know, it's because they're, they're thinking through it, or they genuinely are afraid to say what they actually know. And so by using this phrase, this is the key phrase, but what if you did know, it gives them freedom to stop and pause and think through it or say what they already were thinking. So like giving them that freedom to just say what's on their mind. Like, what if you did know it it, just, just, we're just pretending it's, it's not real. What if you did know? And so I think if you ask that, like, okay, well, you don't have to know. It's okay. It's okay to not know. Well, what if you did? Or what? where would we start? Or what can we do together, right? Like give them the freedom to, to fail a little bit and to not have all the answers, but to think through it. That's yeah. exactly right. Sorry, I keep jumping in on everybody at the same time today. So if you're hearing awkward pauses, it's, it's all me. Um, <laughs> I was going to echo that kind of in, when we were preparing for this podcast, I shared, you know, when I started on the people centric team, I'm, I'm pretty sure as Diana said to me, as like a part of our, our culture and learning how we do things, she was like, you will fail at some point and at different points in time. But the, the key to the failure is, is like, just remember we're a team and we're here and you can ask questions. We don't expect you to know everything or how you, we don't expect you to get everything right the first time. So it's really kind of setting that expectation then of saying like, 
Hey, like if you don't know, that's okay. Or if you're going to have to figure it out as you go, it's okay. This process will probably take a little bit longer than our normal workflow. You know, like we may, we may need some extra hands on this where normally I know we don't do that, or we may take a little bit longer. It's okay to come to me when you're stuck, but I want you to try, you know, like normally when I figure out something like this, I try to look at it. I research these different things. So let's try it that way. And then if that doesn't work, let's come back together and and look at it. I like that there's a clever mix there of smart questions to ask to help lead them to the next piece, right? Where would we start? What kind of people would you need? What information would you need to be able to help solve this problem? You're kind of pointing in the direction, but you're doing it in a questioning kind of a way that that helps people, but you're also empathizing with them. And what you just said is to say like, look, I've struggled with this too. This is a hard one. If I had the answer to this, I'd just give you the answer in some cases. Uh, and, but it, this is a difficult issue and maybe it takes a little bit of encouragement too, to sprinkle in there of saying, I, I know you can do this. That's why I'm giving this to you. Cause I know within your expertise and your experience that you'll be able to solve this. I know you don't have the answer off the top of your head, but you'll be able to go. I, I also have confidence that you'll be able to go and look for this and we'll figure this out together. I, I think that's a good way to be able to open up those questions. Uh, now from the employee side, let's say that our managers bringing problems to us suddenly. They're saying, the problem might be something to do with your job, by the way. It might be saying, I don't like how this has been working out, or I think we can do better in this. Um, let's talk about how employees react when problems are brought, or maybe how they should react, or what's the right way to do that when a manager brings you a problem, because that's not a feel-good moment as an employee. Yeah, I was going to say, like, let's just acknowledge that that sucks. Like, every time it happens, you just feel the pit in your stomach, you feel like you're, you're messing up something you didn't know you were messing up. You feel like this thing that you do daily and that you've worked really hard on isn't as good as you thought it was or something like it is a painful, I do not like that feeling. It happens to me. It happens to me a lot. I get that a lot. Like I, I don't like that feeling, but it happens. Right. So I think you have to acknowledge first that it sucks and it's okay to feel crappy about it. To just take a breath. Take a yeah. moment. It's okay. They may not be blaming you for the problem. Now, some of you as employees might go, oh, my boss is blaming me for this problem. And I know that it often feels like that. And they might actually be blaming you for that problem. Like they may actually be blaming. And you might be in a culture where bosses blame. And maybe you can slide across the accountability versus blame podcast episode to your boss sometime and have them listen to that. Actually, there's no safe way for you to do that. So please don't do that. That's not going to turn out well for you. But the most, most supervisors that we know and managers that we actually work with aren't trying to just say, you did this and now I'm going to bring this problem and you're going to have to solve it. And even if they were, one of the best things you could do is to solve the problem. So I like the idea of starting to collect yourself uh, from that. And then maybe what's the next step? Is it okay to ask those questions? If your boss asks you to do a rundown, is it okay to ask what a rundown does? What, what does the supervisor think when the employee is asking questions like that? Yeah, I, I am a, I'm a question person. I ask all the questions. I need all the details. I'm a little crazy about it. So I generally start with, okay, is it okay if I ask a few questions? Like, and I give, I let them give me permission to ask as many questions as I need, right? Like, is, is it all right if I ask a few questions about all of this? Like, I just, uh, I need more information. And that way it's, you're getting some permission. You're telling them that you need more information. It's not because they've done something wrong or they've said something that's upset you. It's just, I need more information. Yeah, I think another you know, sometimes when a problem is brought is maybe like something didn't go 
quite how we hoped, or it, it didn't work out. It didn't go to plan. Um, and I think those are hard ones too, as an employee of then like a question that I've asked before is like, well, can I, can I walk through with you how I did that? And I'd love to hear like your advice or feedback of like on that process. Cause I think a lot of times there are a lot of different ways to do things that could work or be successful. And so if a way I've done it wasn't then be like, okay, I want to walk back through and maybe understand and help me build some new strategies or critical thinking skills of like, oh yeah, when I, when you got to this juncture, maybe you could have done gone this way instead of that way, you could have done this or that you could have researched there and make it like a constructive conversation of like, I want to learn, like, I want to learn and I want to do this really well. So could I walk through with you kind of how I did it this time? What do you see differently? How could I improve upon that? Where could I have stepped in or pulled back? And if you want to think about what the different levels inside of a company really mean, what's the difference between a frontline employee, a supervisor, a manager, a director, a vice president, and an executive, those types of things, it's kind of what level of problem are you capable of solving? And the capability doesn't magically change as you move up the ladder. The capability has always been there. It's, it's a little bit of how you view the problem. You know, a frontline employee who sees a problem, who's not engaged, who was disengaged in their job, sees a problem and reports it to somebody else to solve it so that they can move on and go on to their job. But if you're looking for a way to move up, as you can dig into those problems, and you have to, you still have to get engagement from management. You still have to ask, is it okay if I go after this? Can I run down this road a little ways? And the answer might be no, and you have to be okay with that too. But if you offer up those solutions, by the way, executives, the levels of problems that we see employees solve on a regular basis at PeopleCentric uh, with our clients is pretty high level. We're not talking about, hey, we want to make this process just a little bit more efficient. Uh, we've seen clients, we have a client that had to rebuild their entire financial system from scratch because they had some high turnover in their areas and their employees jumped in and did that in a relatively short period of time. We've seen uh, employees implement all new business models, launch new product lines, go after new customers. You're, you're, I think one of the most common problems or opportunities for executives is to use your employees more. They can solve more of the problems than you give them credit for. So let's flip this script a little bit because I know there's a lot of their employees that are listening to this going, yes, please let me solve your problems. Let me help with all those things. But I'm going to flip this a little bit how do employees, what can employees do to let their employers solve problems? So let me set this up a little bit. Sometimes we will see employees that will call us or contact us and they are judging the decisions made by their managers, which is totally natural. Not saying that in a bad way. They're thinking, oh, they should, we've got this employee over here that on our team that's not doing the work they should be doing. Why haven't you done something about that yet? Or this decision would be so easy as an executive. Why don't we do this more? I'm thinking, I know that as an employee, I was always second guessing everybody around me. I was, it was, I was a joy to work for you. I'm sure all the people, I'm sorry, everyone I ever worked for on that. But what can employees do to let their employers solve problems better or to support their employers as they solve problems? What thoughts do we have there? Well, that's a tough one. I think that is a tough one. I think it's harder for sure. But I think there's ways that employees can can show issues and ask for more information about those issues. Like, hey, I noticed that our sales are down. I noticed that they're down from last quarter and I run the marketing side and I want to help 
So maybe you can invite me to the next sales meeting and I can hear what the customers are saying so that I can build a campaign or something, right? Like if you know your expertise can be helpful in a situation, call it out and offer it and say, I'd like to help with this problem. Or if you think that they're doing something weird, if you think your manager is making a bad decision, ask them why they made the decision. Not in a rude way, right? Don't be like, why did you do this? I think you could say, I'm trying to learn how you make decisions. Can you tell me what went into the decision-making process for X, Y, and Z? And that way you can get some context. Maybe there's things that you just like didn't even think of that play into that, which I'm guessing there are. But then then you know, and I think I think a lot of times employees are afraid to ask for the knowledge, but I think managers should be totally willing to give that up. Knowledge is power. Let's make everyone powerful. Like totally give up that information. Yeah. Yeah. I think a, a common thing I've heard people say before is like, well, I shouldn't have to tell them that I'll hear an employee say that about a manager or leader. They should just know. I shouldn't have to tell them. I shouldn't have to solve this problem for them. They should just know. I think there's a moment to have just like humanizing everyone else you work with for a second and saying like, have I ever not known what to do? And maybe they just don't know, you know, like maybe, maybe they, they are searching for a solution and they're trying different things right now. And maybe some of the things they've tried haven't worked. So um, kind of to Diane's point that she just made, like, if you have a solution, if you have a good idea, like, how could you take that then to, to your manager, your leader, your boss and say, Hey, I know we're all working on this right now. I know this is a big thing on your plate. I had a couple ideas, like, would you be open to talking about that? And I think people are always afraid to do that, especially when it's not like directly related to their job or their department, but it just like, it's just asking, like, can you contribute? Can I be added to that meeting? I I think I might have some ideas for how to help here. Um, And doing that, you know, in a really safe way and recognizing like they, the, some of the some of it may not be intentional. Like they may just not know. Like I was talking to somebody in my life the other day who's really frustrated with how her leader is managing someone else on the team. And they're like, we're, they were just so frustrated and they're putting her on this and it's not going to work. I said, well, have you talked to them about that? Like, have you shared, like, if you see that they're about to do something that's absolutely not going to work, like did you share that. And her response is, well, I shouldn't have to tell him that he should just know. Like, well, maybe he doesn't, maybe he doesn't understand it. Maybe because you live in that process every single day, you can see that is not how the machine is built. We are not going to get that result if we put this into it. So how could you go to then that leader and say, Hey, I know we've been talking about this. Could I share some thoughts? I have some ideas and say, you know, I think when we do this, because of this piece and the way this process works, we're not going to maybe get the result that we want. I think everyone's willing to try it, but could we look at it a different way? And you have to be careful as the executive not to shoot that down, right? We've talked about solutions-based thinking in a previous episode. You want to be careful not to say, well, we tried that before and it didn't work. And then leaving that pause in there because that shuts down the conversations and shuts down the questions. I think there's something else here and I don't have a name for it. So I'm going to name it. So I'm officially going to name this. I'm going to call it the idiot fallacy. If anybody has ever sat down and watched sports or you've watched a reality show 
or you've watched anything on television, we are sitting there judging a person for the decisions that they're making, right? You're watching a coach make a call and they think, why don't you just put this person in? Why did you call that? You're an idiot. Why did you do that? And then we tend to think that they don't know what they're doing, that they're doing something really wrong. I think this happens at work a lot and it happens in all different directions. That department made a bad decision. Obviously they should have done this. And what's the problem is, is most of the time when we're involved with that, there's more involved than what everybody's acknowledging. It's kind of like the armchair quarterback idea, or, you know, it's easy to make decisions from the cheap seats or sayings that, that go along with that. I think a lot of times, and this goes both ways, is employers don't think that your employees are idiots for the decisions that they're making. They may just not understand something. They may not know something. There may be a complexity in it. And then also employees, if your employer makes a decision that you don't understand, or you think that it's just an idiot, kind of a decision, your employer is probably not an idiot. We actually work for very, very few idiots. Very few. Most of the people that we work for, when we talk to them, they do make logical decisions or they work to make logical decisions. And whenever you get into them, those are hard decisions. Uh, a lot of times the problem is, is that you don't know the whole story. So I'll do a really simple example that happens all the time. Let's say you're on a team and you work with a person on that team who's just an absolute jerk and they're not very good at their job. And it looks like your boss isn't doing anything about that. And you're like, why are you not doing something about that person? Most of the time, in our experience, that boss is doing something about that person. They just can't bring everybody in and saying, okay, everybody, I just disciplined them again. Here's what I did is I threatened them to this, this, and this. Here's the accountability. I'm they can't do all of that stuff. So the assumption, the fallacy, the idiot fallacy kicks in. Everybody thinks my supervisor is an idiot because they're not dealing with this obvious situation. Um, the solution to all of that is a little bit of grace. I understand that not everybody makes perfect decisions, but I also understand that those decisions are complex. And from that person's perspective, it probably does make sense why they're doing what they're doing. So I just wanted to kind of call that out. It's a new name, idiot fallacy. Maybe it's a real thing, but I didn't have another name for it is that we think that other people are idiots when they make decisions we don't understand. It might just be because we don't understand those decisions. So that brings me to the last question here before we wrap up here is we've talked a lot about problem solving from the employee employers side. Look, some people are probably sitting back saying, is it okay to fail at the end of the day? The employees might be saying, what if I go to solve that problem and I'm wrong? What if I screw it up? Or from the employer side, you might be saying, I don't want to give that to my employees because if they screw it up, it's a big deal. Uh, can we talk about failure? Is it okay to fail? And how should we fail? Okay. I think it's always okay to fail, right? That's always okay. But I think the key to failure is how you're doing that and the level of failure, right? If I, Don, if you came to me and said, Diana, here's a big project. It's super important to the company. We have to make sure we do it. It's how we're going to make money next year. Just make it really good. I'd be like, oh crap. Okay. 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 Right. So I'm going to take it and I'm going to go start working on it. And let's say that I start failing early, just mess up, mess up, mess up, mess up, mess up. And I'm not telling anyone, I'm not sharing that. And I'm not doing well just, I'm trying to struggle out of it, but I keep failing. You're not really failing in a good way. You're not, that's not failing in a good way. That's just failure for the sake of failure. But if you can look at it and say, okay, this thing didn't work and this thing didn't work. And I've tried four other things and it didn't work. I need to go back and say, maybe this thing isn't going to work. Help me figure something out or let's bring in an expert or solve something differently. I think that's good failure, right? Like the Failure to learn and course correct is good failure. 
Yeah, the terms are fail forward and fail small, right? So it's it's yeah. instead of having one big failure at the end of that project, which by the way, in that scenario of like you working for me and you running through that project, the scenario of you not telling me what's going on in that is pretty common, as is just as common as me not asking you on that key project what's happening and waiting until the last possible moment where we go in to do the presentation and go to kick off this thing that I'm assuming has been going great. And you're assuming that I know that it's not going great. And then we have a moment where it just it's an utter failure and it's a collapse and it's bad. We didn't get an opportunity to learn from all of those micro failures that occurred along the time within that process. So we didn't get a chance to be able to help each other out, to be able to get past those things or to learn from those things so that we could fail forward so that we could take what we learned and move forward. And I love your, so we have to communicate through all of that. So failure is okay if we're willing to call it a failure. I've, I've heard people who say like, I don't fail. I'll just be really blunt. When I hear somebody, if I'm coaching somebody and they say, I'm just not the type of person that fails, I don't fail. I think that person has a real, a lot of upside in their ability on how they lead people. Um, I, I don't hear that and say, wow, that's impressive. I hear that as saying that person's not self-aware. They don't understand themselves. They have to understand that failure is not just an option. It's a requirement to success. People who are successful don't not fail. They actually fail more frequently. They just learn from those failures by communicating and working through those issues. So. Yeah, I'll agree. I think um, I've heard the phrase before of like, I don't fail. I either win or I learn. And I think there is like, there's some good to that. Um, but also I hear what you're saying, Don, of like failure shouldn't probably be as dirty of a word as it is, but you should learn something from your failures of yes. Like if you fail and learn absolutely nothing, then that was bad. But if you have like, if you fail forward and you have some of those like small failures, then you do learn. So then you are winning or learning. And, um, I think what, what we just described of, yeah, like I, I'm the leader, I give this person something and then I never check in again. And then it's a huge and utter failure at the end. That is always the fear that comes up. I think anytime we talk to a leader or a manager and we talk about a cre creating accountability and some autonomy on their teams, maybe when there are these hyper management cultures, they're like, well, I can't allow them to fail. That's too big of a project. It would dramatically impact the company. I can't just give that to them. As to remind them like, well, that's because you're going to work differently than you have in the past. You aren't just going to hand someone something and then never think about it ever again. You're going to create milestones throughout the project. You're going to create touch points and meaningful, effective meetings where we're going to check in on this process. So we know there are going to be some small quote unquote failures throughout that process. And that is okay. But we're also going to be accountable to one another. We're going to communicate enough that we would never let it get to the point where it would just ultimately bomb and, and blow everything up. Yeah. I love that point. Cause I do think the word failure has so much baggage tied to it, right? Like I'm the kind of person that would say, or might say, I don't fail because I don't think the word failure means that you just bit it and gave up. Failure is, doesn't imply that I was using trial and error and I was learning and I was keeping things moving. And so I think, you know, I love that you're like, fail forward, trial and error. These things are good. Complete and utter failure. If you just give up or you stop communicating or you just say, this isn't going to work and wash your hands of it. That's the failure. 
there's a good Steve Jobs story where the first time that they made Gorilla Glass for the iPhone, if you remember the really early version of the iPhones, you could like drop it on your desk a short distance and, the, and it would crack super easily. And so, so the, somebody invented this new kind of glass called Gorilla Glass and it, it doesn't scratch as easily and it doesn't break as easily and all that. And they showed it to Steve Jobs and he loved it. And he said, great, I need, a you know, a hundred million of those by in like three months. And they hadn't even started manufacturing that. And the guy started to tell him like, I don't know that we can do that. I don't know how we're going to solve all of that. And da, 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 da. started again, Steve Jobs went up to him, put his hand on his shoulder and said, don't be afraid. And then walked out of the room. And, you know, there's a lot of really bad Steve Jobs stories, but in a lot of ways, it was kind of like saying like, no, I, it's almost like the sabbatical around that problem. He's walking away and saying like, I know you can solve this. I know you're going to be able to try to figure this out. And even if you can't, we're going to learn from that. As long as you own the direction and you give me everything that you have and you look and you bring in other people and you communicate and we work through this and we ask each other questions and we, we can solve these problems. And I think that's the whole topic for today. It's this idea that we need each other in terms of employers, employees, and to other people on your team we need each other to help solve problems but whenever we treat ourselves like we're the only ones that are smart and we treat everybody around us like they're dumb people will rise to that occasion and be dumb along with us but if we ask questions and that can be of our employers that can be of our employees everybody else we engage people then we all take ownership and then we all become effectively smarter and we start to solve problems together so i hope you learned something from this episode of the people centric podcast we will see you at we'll see you next time join us on youtube if you do have the youtube if you don't have the youtube i'm just saying that as a joke i know it's just called youtube it's not the youtube uh and you're joining us just in your car or listening to us on your headphones uh we appreciate you listening in but we'll catch you in the next episode thank you for listening to the people-centered podcast we are so grateful for you joining us every week if you like this content please like and subscribe also feel free to share on your social media with everyone that you know it really does help us if you would like to contact us i have put our information in the show notes please reach out anytime we love hearing from you We will be back next week with a new topic. Until then, be well and lead well.